So I don't know if you noticed, uh, but last week I wore my nice shirt um, and, uh, and my favorite tie. Uh, it, was, it was our 100th anniversary, and I, I wanted to look good. Um, actually, I thought, I thought a lot of things looked good last week. Um, the anniversary booklet, excellent. Uh, the worship teams got here, I don't know, like 30, 45 minutes earlier than usual. You could tell. I mean, worship was real sharp, lots of instruments. Even outside. So Georgetown Construction, they've been tearing up our streets. They very graciously moved the porta john uh, that used to be on the sidewalk right below that window, right over there. They moved it across the street by the parking lot. I feel like we kind of... I feel like we kind of nailed it last week. Um, We put our best foot forward. And I got a lot of good comments, uh, especially from visitors. Said things like, uh, church seems to be doing really well, or they said things like, uh, God seems to be doing cool stuff here. And, and I like that. You know, we're, we're kind of we're hidden here on the corner of Buffalo and Spencer. Like, if you don't live on, like, Buffalo, Spencer, Lafayette, or Page, um, it's kind of hard to find this church, and, uh, and I think God is doing cool stuff here, and it's, it's, it's kind of encouraging when, when other people think so too. There's a real spirit of optimism last week about the future. But then, as I prepared for this week, the week after the 100th, I'll admit that I, I got a little bit anxious and was a little bit less optimistic. Um, so I'm glad that some people think cool things are happening here. I, I do too. Uh, but to be honest, I, I know this church better than they do. Um, and so I know that as fun as last week was and as good as we looked, uh, the truth is, right, we've, we've got a long way to go in a lot of things. So it was five years ago I preached a series on the vision of the church. We talked about uh, becoming a multicultural church, right? So a church where every kind of person in our neighborhood we would expect to see in our church. We would, we would work toward that kind of diversity. And we talked about becoming a community church where uh, no matter what kind of culture you're coming from, whatever kind of background, whatever kind of attitudes, uh, you would receive a warm reception here at Creston Church. We talked about becoming a church that was really committed to studying the Bible and and praying together. And I preached those five years ago. And as good as things looked last week, I know that in those areas at least, diversity, community, Bible study, prayer, in those areas we really have a lot of room for improvement. Now, that, of course, wouldn't be a problem if we were always as good as we looked last week. But the truth is, our church is a lot more broken and a lot more challenged, and things are are not as bright and shiny here as they maybe appeared to someone who just visited last week. So here I was, I was thinking about, what do I say as we embark on the next hundred years? 
now that the big show is over and, and the visitors have left, like what does an honest assessment of our situation look like? And I had to concede that you know, we can really let each other down here. I've seen that. Um, God has given us this amazing opportunity to serve in, in this city and in this neighborhood, to be the body of Christ uh, for each other and in this community, and yet it feels like sometimes, sometimes we're not even close to realizing all that potential. And, and wearing a nice shirt or rehearsing an extra 30 minutes, that might fool a visitor into thinking like, wow, like we got all our stuff together. But we know better. And we know the challenge that we're up against. And I wonder, like, are we up to it? This potential Can God use us, or will our issues, our sins, our inadequacies, will our baggage inevitably keep us from doing what God's calling us to here? And I think our passage today provides some really important perspective for people like us in this situation. So it's right on the heels of the the biggest story in the Bible, right? The Easter story. And I mentioned we, we read about Mary and Mary. They go to visit the tomb. And these women are really impressive. Uh, an angel greets them and tells them that Jesus has risen uh, and that they should go to Galilee to tell the disciples. And, you know, if an angel came to me and told me that uh, my teacher, who had just died a couple days before, was now alive, I'd have like a ton of questions. Uh, and I wouldn't go at all if, she told me, if they told me to go. Uh, but the Bible tells us that the angel told them to go tell the disciples and they just went. They just went. And, uh, and then on their way, they run into this guy who turns out to be Jesus, and they worship him. And then he says the same thing. He says, hey, go to Galilee, tell the disciples I'm going to meet them there. And again, like I would have a ton of questions if a dead man was talking to me. right? Running, right I would want to talk for a while, but the Bible tells us that they just went. The women are great in our story today. They are very impressive. But now for the letdown. So skip to our section today, verse 16. The women have gone. They've done their part fantastically. They've told the disciples, and now Matthew says, the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And he tells us that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, which is good. Until he adds one of the craziest lines in the Bible. They worshipped him, but some doubted. And these guys see the resurrected Jesus. I mean, they see God's finest work standing in front of them. And they were told he would be there. I mean, it's not like this is a total surprise, right? They were told he would be there. They went to meet him there. And they worshipped, but some doubted. It's like, what in the world? Like, what is there to doubt? But actually, I think I get it. Um, I have, I've had it where, like, I will hear a God story that is just beautiful, some way that God is working. And then 
that afternoon, I will hear about another situation that was just like the trouble that God resolved in the God story, and I'll doubt that God could really do anything about the situation. Um, I, I will hear or see God do something beautiful one minute, and the next minute, I have no problem at all doubting that he would ever do anything good again. Of course, I'd like to be like the women, right, who see God working, and immediately they, they, they worship, and there's no doubts, right? It's just they went, right? Worship and go. But I know that for myself, and I know that for a lot of you, even when we see God working all around us, right? Because last week wasn't just a show, right? Uh, there was story after story after story of God's faithfulness. That was real. But even after all those stories, even when we come face to face again and again with God's work, isn't it true that sometimes we still have doubts? Was that really God? Or am I just making connections where I want to see them? Right? We want to be this nice, tidy package of worship and go. But I think more often, we're kind of this messy mix of worship and doubt. That's the disciples in our story today. Kind of a messy mix. And, and that's not the only thing that's wrong either. Right there in verse 16, he says, uh, Matthew says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. It used to be 12. Right, until one of them betrayed Jesus. So all throughout the Bible, uh, the number 12 is a number of completion and wholeness. Uh, so there's 12 sons of Jacob. There's 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 gates in the temple. There's never 11. Until now. And I think it's Matthew's way of pointing out this is a broken community. There's something missing. And frankly, that sounds like us too. Not on our 100th Sunday, right, when the church is packed, but on every other Sunday, you know, when I'm not wearing my nice shirt and when the band gets here a little bit late, like on the, the regular times. In the regular times, it's not that God still hasn't been working, but in the regular times, we, I think, are much more aware of how broken we are. How many people could be a part of our fellowship or used to be a part of our church or should be a part of our community but aren't? If it's true, when the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ, then there are parts of the body that are missing here. So what will God do with Doubting broken communities like us today or the disciples standing on this mountain in Galilee. Verse 16, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped, but some doubted. And then this incredible thing happens. Matthew says that Jesus came to them. Jesus came to them. He draws near to them. So he doesn't criticize the disciples. 
for having little faith. He doesn't accuse them or mock them. He doesn't see their doubts and tell them, you know, I'm going to come back when you get your spiritual act together. No, Jesus just comes to them. Right in the middle of their broken community. On, on the heels of their mishmash of doubt and worship. He comes to them. I think it's a beautiful image. I think it is easy to be attracted to people who are filled with conviction. Who know what they believe and they don't have a moment's doubt. And there are churches in this city that are nicer than our 100th anniversary every week. It's all very polished, very well executed. But to be honest, not, not many of us live in that world. That world where everything comes together. Where everything makes sense all the time. Where everything goes according to plan and we walk the walk and we talk the talk. Sounds great. But it doesn't sound like me. I'm more of a broken mix. And Matthew says, Jesus draws near. And then he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which is to say to these doubting worshipers, this enterprise doesn't rely on you. It doesn't rely on your strength. It doesn't rely on your consistency. It doesn't rely on your convictions. Jesus says, this enterprise, this kingdom of God, relies on me. And I have all the authority in the world. And so Jesus says, I have all the authority. Here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. Lots of things Jesus could have said here. He could have said, share your faith. He could have said, preach the gospel. He could have said, make peace. He could have said, uh, serve the poor. All those things are things that Jesus has said elsewhere. They're all good things to do. But here, what I would argue is the single most important passage in the Bible for understanding the mission that we have as a community, the mission that we have as a church. Jesus says, make disciples. This is not flashy. Okay. Uh, the Greek word for disciple is a slow word. Uh, it's something that takes time. It can't be rushed. It, it basically has to do with teaching and school. Jesus tells us to go and make some students. I think this means we're supposed to teach people about Jesus. Uh, he says that in the next line. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Jesus had this worldview. He had this way of life. He, had, he taught all about it, and he's saying, I want you guys to pass that on to other people. Teach it. But I think it's important to say, this is more than just classroom learning. It's more than just lectures about Jesus. So when Jesus says, make disciples, we don't really have to guess what he means. Because there are four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that kind of more than anything show Jesus making disciples. And sometimes we see that when he's doing that, he does that by teaching, by explaining things. And sometimes we see he does that by example. 
by surprisingly coming alongside a sinner or by healing a leper or by offering forgiveness to a prostitute. So he doesn't just tell his disciples, be compassionate. He shows them what compassion looks like. He does it. And he also will just, he'll just take them along on things. Like, like he takes them along to dinner at a tax collector's house, which I'm sure for a lot of them, they would never have chosen that on their own. But he says, no, come with me. I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to tell you what I'm about. I'm going to show you what I'm about. I'm going to do it. And so when we think about Jesus calling us now, calling you and I to, to make disciples, obviously, it's going to include teaching, right? Because teach, that's mostly what we see Jesus doing. But it's also meaning uh, serving people, making a meal, writing a card, right? helping someone run an errand, visiting someone who's sick, reaching out to someone who's lonely, praying with someone who doubts. Right? Making a disciple isn't just making sure that a person knows up in their head that they should care about the poor. It's taking them along with you as you care for the poor. Don't just tell. Show. And this is what we can really be for each other, right? This is why it's such a great calling for this church, for this group, right? Uh, For our children, for people who come into our community. We can teach stuff to each other. We can study Jesus' teaching together, and then we can just try modeling it with each other. You know, a, a kid, a kid will learn a lot more about the Christian faith when she sees you living it every day and when she hears you talking about it than she will in a hundred Sunday school classes. And I love Sunday school classes. Like, show, don't just tell. So Jesus says, make disciples, teach. And then he tells us to baptize. Which says to me that Jesus expects that even though the disciple makers, even though we are kind of flaky, um, and, and even though the community isn't always much to look at, Jesus expects that people will still see what God is doing, and they will hear the story of Jesus, and despite it all, they're going to want in. Right, baptism is this initiation into this new community. When Jesus tells us to baptize, he's assuming people are going to see something attractive here. They're going to want to be a part. And then after Jesus says to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach, he ends with a promise. He says, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. This is such an important promise when you consider who he's talking to. This fractured group of people uh, who are this messy mix of worship and doubt. Right? These, these are not all stars of faith that he's talking to, who are going to have all this confidence that they can just do anything in the world. They've just seen Jesus and they're doubting. Right? This promise is so important for them. Jesus says, don't worry. I know this is a lot to ask. And I know that on your own strength, you're not up to it. Don't freak out. I will be with you, he says. Whatever happens, 
however deep the valleys of the shadow of death you walk through, however firm the grip of doubt that, that, that fills your heart, Jesus says, I will come to you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together.